Hi, everyone, and thanks for listening to Call of the Week. I'm Ginger Rousey. While we usually focus on crops in this podcast, with the opening of the early August hunt today, August 23rd, we thought we'd interview a specialist about an issue that is probably very uh, close to many of our landowners and hunters out there. Dr. Dan Grove is joining us today. He's a wildlife veterinarian with the UT Department of Forestry, Wildlife and Fisheries. He's also the Extension Wildlife Specialist, and he is our expert in chronic wasting disease, also known as CWD. Dan, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. We do appreciate it. And like I mentioned, the the first hunt of the season opens this weekend. Um, regular season getting going here in a, a few weeks. So uh, so people will be out there hunting, and this will be the first time that we're starting the hunting season knowing that CWD is in Tennessee. Um, I think you'd have to be hard-pressed not to have heard about this disease, but people may not understand why CWD is so threatening to our Tennessee deer population. Uh, yeah, um, unfortunately, uh, you know, even as much as we try and get the message out, there's still probably folks that might not have heard the full message at this point, but... You know, CWD, uh, chronic waste disease, is the prion disease of, of cervids. So in Tennessee, that's going to be our white-tailed deer species and potentially our elk. Uh, right now, it's limited to southwest Tennessee, to uh, Fayette, Hardeman, and Madison counties where we found positives. Um, but there are a total of eight counties that are impacted with the new hunting regulations. Um, ultimately, CWD is a problem uh, because it, it, it's a slow, insidious disease. And what they've seen in other locations where the disease has existed for, you know, anywhere from 20 to 50 years is that they're actually starting to see some population declines and some population level impacts uh, with shifts in age structure and things like that. Uh, we always want our wildlife herds to be, you know, good and healthy. That's why we do herd health checks, basically. Um, and so when we find a disease like this that has a certain level of permanency on the landscape, it, it's it's very disconcerting, um, especially at the level that we found it. It's uh, we found 186 positive animals last year, um, majority of those being in Fayette and Hardeman counties, um, with just a single positive animal in Madison County, um, and that's a that's a lot for a first detection. Um, it means it's been out there for a little while, and so this year we're really just looking to try and get a lot more samples out of animals. Uh, that's why we've instituted new regulations to encourage hunters to potentially go out uh, and, and harvest more animals so that we can get more samples. Um, and basically, we know one season's worth of data, and unfortunately with this disease, you have to know multiple years' worth of data to even know what's happening with it. And so right now, we're still just trying to determine where the leading edge of the infection is at this point. Okay. So, well, 186 deer uh, positive in Hardeman Fayette. Do you have any idea what percentage of the deer population that would be? Uh, based on the animals that we tested total last year from those units, it's about an 8% prevalence right now. Okay. Um, it's actually a higher prevalence than our adult males. They're twice as likely to have the, to have the disease. Um, so the prevalence that we determined last year based on our initial data was about 15% prevalence in our adult bucks. And that's being a two and a half year old buck or older is what we consider an adult. And that's, that's relative to an adult female, which is sitting around 7%. Okay. Um, and, and why, you know, why is that? Why, why are ducks, I mean, bucks more prone to, to get the, uh, to get this disease? 
Well, bugs tend to interact with more animals on the landscape than does do. Does tend to be in a matriarchal society, and so they just kind of hang out with their same family group, and they'll interact as their family groups come across other family groups. But bucks will go from family group to family group during rut. Um, and then in the off-season, a lot of times they'll uh, form bachelor groups, so they'll interact with all these other bucks that have been interacting with other groups. Um, and so they're, just their normal behaviors make them at, more at risk to coming in, in contact with a, another affected animal. The reality is, is last year, of those 186 positives, we did have every age and sex class represented in those positives. So we had fawns that were positive we had does that were positive we had yearlings that were positive and we had you know every age class of buck was positive from from buck to buck fawn to yearling fawn to adult bucks um and so it's it kind of gives us an idea of whenever you start seeing fawns infected on the landscape that means their disease is out there at a high enough level to where they're being infected at an early age because mm-hmm. remember when we took those samples those fawns at most were eight maybe 10 months of age so they were infected early on in life and that's whenever you actually start to see the impacts of the disease because it, it takes about 10 to 18 months before you see clinical signs from from the disease mm-hmm. but if you're infected you know within the first month of your life then you won't necessarily live to be an adult and you won't live to to produce reproduce yourself um, and so that's where we start seeing some of those potential impacts long-term with the disease. What are those clinical signs? Are there symptoms that hunters or landowners could be on the lookout for? Yeah, and, you know, in the affected areas where the, the clinical signs make more of a difference, uh, statewide, obviously, you know, we, we're keeping an eye out. The reality is is that the clinical signs match a bunch of different diseases. Um, but, you know, you'll see an animal in later stages. Again, it takes about 10 to, 8, 10 to 18 months post-infection to see these signs. But you'll see, like, a, a poor hair coat is kind of one of the first things you'll see. The animals start to get thin. Um, later stages of the disease, they'll, you know, you might see them stumbling around. They might appear blind. It uh, might just be standing there drooling. Uh, it could be walking in circles. You know, and, and so it's, you know, they're kind of nondescript signs. There's a bunch of diseases that cause that. But CWD is the one that will have the worst impacts on the population, relatively speaking. Um, this year, we are actually getting early reports of hemorrhagic disease, which is caused by a virus and spread by midges. And so people that are out hunting this weekend might actually see animals that are infected with that particular virus. But um, we're still trying to keep track of both diseases at this point in time because they both do kind of have uh, population-level impacts. Sure. And I think the thing on everyone's mind is what sort of risk this poses to human health. Yeah, you know, that's a question that we get asked a lot, and it's a really great question. And unfortunately, the short answer is we don't know. Um, There's been a lot of research done looking at animal models as approximations for the human model and what might happen if uh, people ingest uh, infected meat from an uh, infected animal. Um, And those studies have actually been conflicting. What we do know about the disease is that it's been out there on the landscape for 50 to 60 years. There's been lots of people eat infected meat knowingly and unknowingly. And there's never been a, a, a case that was directly linked to consumption of uh, CWD infected meat. So there's never been a case in a human of disease relative to ingesting CWD infected meat. But with that being said, there are other prion diseases that are out there that if, 
you know, like mad cow disease is the, the best example. Back in the 80s and 90s, we saw problems in England with mad cow disease and people consumed the meat, got infected. So we know there's other animal prion diseases that people can be infected by. And we just don't know at this point in time if CWD can be infectious. And so we defer to the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, recommendations, which they recommend that if you're hunting in an area known to have CWD, that you have your animal tested and that if the animal tests positive, you don't consume meat from that animal. Okay. And and I know you're really not wanting to discourage hunting. We want to be careful people don't eat infected meat, but you want people to continue hunting because that's how your best bet to control this disease. Yes. um, You know, population reduction, you know, through hunting uh, is going to be our best bet. Um, You know, in terms of controlling the spread and the number of positive animals on the landscape, um, you know, we're looking at if you draw a 10 mile buffer around where all of our positive animals are, we're looking at about 1.4 million acres within that buffer zone. Um, And so we're talking about 2,200, 2,300 square miles roughly. That's a large area to try and manage a disease, especially in wildlife. Um, And so, you know, that's why new regulations have been put in place to, to encourage people to go out and hunt more. Uh, you know, it's like there's there's already fairly liberal bag limits on uh, on whitetail does. You know, you can harvest three a day, which if you harvested your limit every day for the season, you could harvest 330 does roughly for, for a season. So there's pretty liberal limits on that. Um, but we wanted to um, make sure that people had even more opportunity to harvest bucks since they are one of our highest risk uh, carriers of the disease. Um, and so there's, there's the normal bag limits within the zone. So you can have your normal two buck limit that goes for all the seasons. Um, but you have the opportunity to potentially earn an additional buck, um, up to two additional bucks, I should say. If you harvest two does within unit CWD and submit them for testing to TWRA, then you can earn an additional buck that can be harvested within unit CWD. And you can do that up to two bucks. And then if you harvest a positive buck, um, you actually can get a replacement buck for that positive buck. And there's unlimited if you, uh, with the earn a buck, or sorry, with the uh, replacement buck program, there's an unlimited number of bucks that you can harvest under that. You just basically have to keep submitting your animals for testing. And if they test positive, you can get another buck tag. So. Okay. Now, and where, where do where do hunters take their animals to be tested? Um, if you go to uh, the TWA website mm-hmm. or cwdintennessee.com, um, that website will have a list of all of the uh, locations where uh, have uh, processors and taxidermists within the zone um, that are that are cooperating with us to help us get samples. There's also, I believe, 27 freezer locations within the affected eight counties, which would be, um, so our positive counties are going to, again, be Fayette and Hardeman County, uh, as well as Madison County, and then our high-risk counties are going to be Shelby, Tipton, um, Haywood County, Chester County, and McNary County. Um, and again, hunters before they go out and hunt should make sure that they know the regulations because there are limits on what you're allowed to take in and out of unit CWD in terms of, uh, in terms of, you know, your meat has to be boned out as pretty much has to be trophy mounts and clean skulls and things like that. So there are regulations and limits to what you can move through within the zone and then out of the zone. Um, but again, there's plenty of opportunities for sampling, uh, 
there will be opportunity all the way through season for sampling in those units. And then uh, in the peripheral counties, those being the five counties of Shelby, Tipton, Haywood, Chester, and McNary, um, there's actually a mandatory uh, physical check-in on opening of muzzleloader and opening of rifle season this year. Um, and that's not mandatory sampling. That's, we're just trying to provide an opportunity to get more biological data off of animals. Um, and we know more animals harvest on opening weekend, and it gives us the opportunity to potentially sample more animals. But again, it's a mandatory physical check-in versus you know being able to check in online for the rest of the season. So. Okay. All right. You know what? What about landowners? Maybe maybe you don't hunt, but you do um, allow friends or neighbors to hunt on your property. Are, are there things landowners can do to uh, to help control the spread of this disease? Yes, um, you know there are feeding restrictions now in place uh, within unit, and those are year round feeding restrictions. You're no longer allowed to have mineral blocks out outside of like if you're raising cattle and you have mineral blocks out for your cattle. That's that's still uh, allowable, but you're not allowed to put them out for the purposes of attracting deer. Um, you're not allowed to have feed placed anywhere outside of 100 feet from a home. Like you can still have your bird feeders and stuff, but if you've got a deer feeder that you had out there, you're not allowed to do that within the zone anymore. Um, and so, you know, those are the kind of things that congregate deer in the landscape. One of the odd things about this, this disease is it's not destroyed by your normal uh, environmental methods like if it was a virus or a bacteria and it was out there for a while sunlight and heat and freezing all those kind of weather factors will actually kill most things it doesn't kill prions prions survive forever in the environment so any of these areas where um, uh, we've got congregation of animals uh, basically artificial congregation is a potential source uh, for prion accumulation in the environment and a potential place for other animals to then become infected at, at those kind of sites. And so anything we can do to try and break up that artificial congregation of animals, there's still going to be natural congregation and it's harder to do. Um, you know, and, and, and people are concerned about food plots and places like that also. Um, you know, we're recommending that you not have smaller food plots because uh, that'll congregate animals more in that small area. If you can make them longer and thinner, where it kind of spreads the animals out, you know, they're less likely to interact with each other than through the course of that, um, you know, using those food plots and things, and then they're less likely to be in one place for a longer period of time. So, that, you know, there's just there's things like that that people could do. And obviously, if, if uh, people have, are allowing hunting on their property, allow people to harvest their, their limit. Uh, you know, and we encourage landowners to harvest their limits and submit animals for testing. And if they happen to see sick animals, uh, we definitely want to hear about those and report those to TWA's uh, regional office. And um, we won't necessarily, you know, TWA won't, doesn't necessarily have the staff to get out to every single call, but, you know, there's ones that they, you know, to, if we don't know about them, we can't go to them, basically. So You brought up an interesting point just a, just a few minutes ago that, uh, you know, with, with your salt licks for the cattle, it's okay to leave those out when we know maybe deer may come up to a cattle salt lick is there a chance that this disease could spread from deer to other animals to beef cattle or to other wildlife you know and that's a it's a great question we get that one a lot too um based on the studies that have been done at this point in time um most of our domestic livestock other than pigs are not susceptible to the prion 
that uh, is in in our deer species. Um, there was actually a study that came out recently and was just published within the last year or two. They had housed uh, cattle with infected uh, mule deer and elk for 15 plus years or right around that, about 15 years. Um, obviously, the mule deer kept passing away, so they had to, you know, add new mule deer in each time. But um, after 15 years, they didn't find any prions in any of the cattle that they could look at. Um, and so there's, there's, you know, it's at this point in time, there's no link between disease and any of our domestic species other than pigs again, and that's experimental. We don't know what the true impacts on the, on the landscape would be with that. Um, but um, so like our horse, sheep, goats, uh, cattle, uh, any of those species, they've, they've not found a link uh, to disease from, from being exposed to the CWD prions. Mm-hmm. What, what about other wildlife? Actually, you know, uh, other animals can take the prions in, but they do not actually become infected with them and reproduce them. Um, really, the, the, the prion is just an abnormal protein, and so uh, it's very specific to cervid species, this particular one. Again, there are other ones. Uh, you know, there's scraping and sheep and goats. That's their version of the prion. And people, there's Kruzfeld Jakob disease, which is the human version of it. Um, and then, again, you know, mad cow or BSE, uh, bovine spongiform encephalopathy in cattle. Um, and we know there's prions and all kinds of different it's fungi that have prions and there's different plant prions and all kinds of different animal prions. So they, they tend to be species specific and not crossover, but that's not a guarantee. You know, we do know that there is crossover from species to group to species group. Um, but at this point in time, it looks like the cervid one is, is fairly well host adapted. But then again, you know, since we do know that there's not a hundred percent barrier, um, we always kind of urge caution with things. So, okay. looking ahead to this season, uh, are you expecting to find some positives in additional counties? Uh, is that something you've just resigned yourself to, or are you hoping you can contain it to the three that we have you've already uh, recognized? Yeah have one year's worth of data mm-hmm. and last year there was two positive animals that were within a quarter mile of the McNary County line and within the quarter mile of the Shelby County line and the reason the other counties have been brought in uh, to unit CWD is because there are positives within 10 miles of their borders and so the reality unfortunately you know we just have that one year's worth of data and so we don't know that leading edges we're going to try and determine that this year, and that's why we've set up the sampling scheme the way it is this year. Um, I would I would fully anticipate that there will be uh, you know more more counties that, that turn positive, and it, it the, one of the things with CWD unfortunately is is that the changes that we do in management and to try and control the disease, you won't actually see the impacts of them for five to ten years potentially, and so. You know, it, it may look like initially, you know, we'll probably find more positives because we're looking harder this year than we did last year. And so it may look like there's an increase in the prevalence, but it might just be that we didn't get the true prevalence last year, if that makes any sense. Yes, it does. And, 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 so, and so there's there's a lot of times a perception that in the first few years after you find the disease, it just looks like it's skyrocketing and skyrocketing and, and then it continues to ever expand. And the reality is, is it's just... When you first find it, it's hard to figure out where that leading edge is. And if you remember, you know, I said it's 1.4 million acres that we know it exists on. And so we have a huge area that we're trying to get 
data from. And so that, that, that there's going to be a lag and there's going to be a difference in, uh, the way things look just because we're trying to get more intensive, uh, surveillance in the peripheral edge of this to figure out where that true leading edge is. And then maybe we can start doing some management actions. Cause if you start doing management actions before you truly know where the disease is, you're kind of chasing your tail a little bit. And so that's the first few years afterwards. That's a lot of it is data collection and, and trying to figure out where the disease actually is. And then looking at what our management options might potentially be long-term. Okay. The website is cwdintennessee.com. And you can go there and find hunter resources, landowner resources, general information about chronic wasting disease. Um, so, and Dan, you have actually, you've been doing a series of, of meetings here in West Tennessee and you have one more, if I'm correct. Yes, yes we have, uh, our last one will be in Chester County, uh, next Tuesday, mm-hmm. uh, which the date off the top of my head, I can't remember. August, <laughs> August 27th is next Tuesday. <laughs> there we go. Next, next Tuesday at seven o'clock. Um, the information is posted on the uh, UT extension website as well as, uh, on TW Ray's, uh, website. Um, in terms of location, so you can look that up and get the um, get directions to the location if you're interested in that. Um, but uh, you know, uh, our, we're anticipating that after the season we'll have some more meetings, um, just so that we can update people. And so that the plan is to continually update people through the season. So if people are interested, they can go to TWA's website, sign up. There's an email. Uh, list that you can get on and that so that every time there's an update about chronic wasting disease they'll they'll kick out emails to anybody that signed up for that list um, and then if hunters are wanting to check on their results and this is statewide because we are still doing surveillance statewide we're not just focusing on UNCWD um, they can actually there'll be a mechanism where they can go online and check their test results if they submitted samples this year and that'll be their confirmation number for that. Well, that's fantastic information. We'll include the links to these websites that that Dan has mentioned. Um, And we uh, really appreciate you, Dan, for taking the time to talk to us. And if you have a chance to come to the Chester County meeting, be sure to check that out next Tuesday, August 27th. Again, thanks, Dan, for being with us. Thank you all out there for listening, and happy hunting. This is Call of the Week. We'll talk next week.